dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We're your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today we will be discussing episode forty of the story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gonglue. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. Since we are officially in the back half of the drama, we have posted another poll for listeners to vote on what drama we will discuss next. Go check it out and vote to make sure that your voice is heard. You can vote for up to three dramas per day. Head to our website www.chasingdramas.com to vote. Similarly, we also created a poll for your favorite drama of 2022. There's plenty that we didn't include, so feel free to write yours in. But it's also pretty interesting to see what the current results are. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter, or else email us at Karen and Kathy at chasingdramas.com. This podcast episode contains a drama episode recap, and then we will move on to the history portrayed in this episode, and then some contemporary culture. Episode forty moves by very quickly and is incredibly heavy, but also it marks a very important turning point in the drama. Ying Luo's support suddenly disappears, and the Empress finally goes on to seek peace. We begin this episode with seeing the empress absolutely hysterical at seeing her poor son Yongcong, the seventh prince, dead in her arms. In the last episode, a fire broke out in his rooms and he tragically passed away. All of this happened while Ying Luo was away from Changchungong. The emperor arrives and tries to console the empress, but his words are more insulting than comforting. He wants the empress to pull herself together and not forget who she is. She cannot handle these words and point blank demands from the emperor to tell her who she is. He answers, "You are my wife. You are the empress of the Qing Dynasty." These words absolutely break her. It's not explicitly said, but it's because she has no personal identity left that she is so upset. There's no Rongyin. Only Huanghe or Empress. The Empress cries out that she has not done a single bad thing in her life. So why does she deserve for life to treat her this way? To which the Emperor has no response. The Empress goes ballistic at this point, screaming that she wants to see her son. She cannot accept that he is also gone. The Emperor has no choice but to tie and gag her and leave her in her palace. As she lies there, the emperor utters perhaps the most cutting words to her. He reminds her what her role is, and that she does not have the luxury of backing away from her duty. She has to remember what her duty is. Rongyin responds that in her life, the only thing she has left is her duty. The message that the emperor views his duty to the empire above all else is hammered home in the next couple of scenes. He originally wanted to personally oversee the seventh prince's funeral proceedings, but pressing military news takes him away. He orders for Fu Hong to meet him in the palace to discuss next steps and admonishes him from visiting his sister. The emperor views this as a sign of weakness in the face of a pending national defense threat. 
The emperor makes it very clear to Fu Hang that he expects Fu Hang to be loyal and useful as a court official and that he does not care at all if all of the women in the palace perish. He, the emperor, will always be the emperor and has a job to do for the people of his empire. This, to me, was an extremely important portrayal of the words 最是无情帝王家, which translates to the most cold-hearted place is the imperial family. You could argue that the emperor isn't wrong in his view. He has the entire empire to manage. He has to have his wife be there for him. Rongyin is not wrong either. She has been reduced to nothing but a title and a role. She has lost herself entirely as empress, and she cannot feel upset or sad or let her emotions come out when she is in utter despair that her son passed away. This is actually a different portrayal of what actually happened in history, which we will talk about later on. That afternoon, Er Qing arrives to talk to the Empress. We don't know what she says, but after Er Qing leaves, the Empress tricks Mingyu away to give her some space. When I first saw that Er Qing showed up, I was like, ugh, nothing good can happen. And unfortunately, something terrible happens after. The Empress, dressed in white and walking around barefoot, climbs a palace roof. She laments the mistakes she's made in life, hoping for true love in the palace when love does not exist, and the fact that she was not able to protect her two sons. Finally, she steps forward off the roof and returns to being just Fu Cha Rongyin, not the empress of the Qing dynasty. She jumps from the palace roof and ends her pain. The next day, Ying Luo, who had been tricked into leaving the palace to tend to her father, returns to the palace and sees that it is decked out in white. She cannot believe what happened and her worst nightmare comes true. The empress, her biggest support and bright light in the palace, has gone. The funeral proceedings had already begun and Ying Luo quickly changes into an all-white attire. The emperor arrives and tells Ying Luo to dress the deceased empress so that she passes on worthy of the title of empress. This causes Ying Luo to get into a verbal spat with him about what the empress actually wanted versus what the emperor thinks she should want as empress. The emperor is not in the mood to entertain her and promptly orders for her to be put to death. Ying Luo is to accompany the empress to the afterlife. The rest of the servants are stunned but dare not incur the wrath of the emperor at this critical juncture. However, Ying Luo is ultimately saved by the empress. The emperor retracts his orders after seeing the only request left by the empress, which is a piece of paper that the empress writes that says she hopes the emperor will save Ying Luo and allow her to leave the palace. The emperor stares coldly at this piece of paper and sheds a single tear, which he promptly wipes away. He is saddened to see that the empress did not leave a single message for him. She must have hated him so dearly to not leave him anything. Despite his sadness, he gives his official decree for the empress's death, which masks over her suicide and instead 
says she died of illness. This was done to save face for the empress, and we'll talk about this more in a sec. But as for Ying Luo, she is ordered to watch over the empress's portrait in Yuan Ming Yuan, the summer palace, never to return to the forbidden palace. And that's where we're at for now, a new status quo. Ying Luo is joined by her adoptive brother Yuan Chunwang in Yuan Ming Yuan. We'll see the next chapter of Ying Luo's life unfold in episode 41. Before we move on to history, let's debate this a little bit. Duty versus individual identity. That's the main theme for this episode and why Fu Cha Rongyin was so distraught. She felt like her entire life was just being secluded in a cage that was made up of rules and restrictions. That, I think, is the true tragedy of Fu Cha Rongyin because, as we will discuss in a bit, she actually had the deep love of her husband, which not many empresses can say they did or can say they had. Fu Cha Rongyin lived in a time where she could not love fully, and you could also say that there was not enough medical advancements to save her life and that of her beloved children. Sure, a lot of things we saw in this drama were done for a dramatic effect and will explain the true timeline of Fu Cha Rongyin's life, but I think this drama did a rather good job of portraying a kind-hearted and deserving empress that ruled over the imperial harem with grace and poise. That is a nice change of pace from the previous Chinese palace dramas and even in the comparative drama Rui's Love in the Palace, Rui Zhuan. We're going to reference this drama um, a lot in this uh, podcast episode. I find it fascinating to see the storylines from these two dramas that have the same backdrop, but tell rather different outcomes. The focus on duty here also reminds me again very heavily of the Netflix drama The Crown, where the show emphasized how Queen Elizabeth II's Uh, and her royal family had to suffer and give up a lot of happiness due to the restrictions placed on them as royals. A lot of the things that uh, the family wanted to do probably would not have been an issue if they weren't members of the royal family. On the flip side, for Emperor Qianlong, yes, he does have to focus a lot on duty, and that is, I guess, the shackles that he placed upon himself. But what do you think? Maybe if you're in the position of power that he is in, he has to constantly remind himself that he is not able to uh, let his emotions get the better of him. As you see in this episode, he only shed that one tear when he saw the note from his beloved Empress and not any other emotion of sadness. And that, I think, is really powerful to see the um, comparisons or the differences between what the empress wanted versus what she can have and what the emperor thinks is the most important. That is why in this drama, at least, Empress Fu Cha Rongyin decided that she would rather die and seek her peace rather than stay shackled in the role of uh, empress forever. In this episode, we say goodbye to our beautiful empress, our Bai Yue Guang or our White Moonlight. She was the Bai Guang in the drama to Wei Yingluo, and honestly, to me. In history, was she really a Bai Guang? Unfortunately, most of what we know about Empress Fu Cha comes from historical records and poems from her husband, the emperor, 
But from what we do have, she most definitely was a Bai Yueguang to Emperor Qianlong. We did an intro to her character during our intro to the drama episode, but I want to spend the bulk of our time this podcast episode to discuss the historical figure that is Empress Fu Cha, her life, and her impact to her husband, Emperor Qianlong. Born in 1712 to the powerful Fu Cha clan of the Border Yellow Banner, or Xiang Huangqi, the Empress grew up in a very wealthy and powerful aristocratic family. In the drama, the screenwriters gave her the name of Fu Cha Rongyin with Rongyin as the first name, but this is only for the drama. As is with most women in Chinese history, we do not know her first name. We only call her by Fu Cha Shi, which is what I call her or I will call her for now. When Fu Cha Shi was 12, her father passed away. However, her father had two very powerful brothers, Ma Qi and Ma Wu. They had a very close relationship to Emperor Yongzheng, so much so that when Ma Wu died in 1726, Emperor Yongzheng had his son, the fourth prince, Hong Li, attend the funeral. This was a very high honor because in the 13 years of Emperor Yongzheng's reign, the fourth prince, Hong Li, only went to this one minister's funeral. Every other funeral that Hong Li attended was of that of a royal family member. You could say that Emperor Yongzheng's close relationship with the Fu Cha clan laid the groundwork for the marriage between Prince Hong Li and Fu Cha Shi. The two married in 1727 when Hong Li was only 17 and Fu Cha Shi was 16. Now, as a reminder, in Chinese culture, the age of a person will skew older because they do count the time in the womb as a year. So in the Gregorian calendar, we view that they marry probably at around age 16 and 15 respectively, but in Chinese accounts, it will be age 17 and 16 instead. The two were happily married. Fu Cha Shi was praised by the then Xi Guifei for her obedience and warmth as a wife. The couple welcomed a baby girl in 1728. Unfortunately, this daughter died shortly after in 1729. Fu Cha Shi then gave birth to a son, Yonglian, in 1730, who was the second prince. The name of Lian was gifted by Emperor Yongzheng himself. Lian represents a vessel used specifically in the ancestral temple to hold millet. This is also a very powerful word for a name, as this basically means someone who will hold the future of the ancestors. This is not unlike the name Yongzong for the seventh prince that we discussed in the previous episode. As we discussed earlier for this drama, Emperor Qianlong did indeed want this Yonglian, or the second prince, to inherit the throne. In 1731, the Fu Cha Shi gives birth to another daughter. So taking a look at history, within four years of marriage, Fu Cha Shi gave birth to three children. This, I believe, reflects how much Hong Li, or Prince Hong Li at that time, favored Fu Cha Shi, and to a certain extent, I believe also shows how much Hong Li wanted legitimate children. In this drama, we don't see any of Fu Cha Shi's daughters. Well, 
There's only one living daughter, uh, but we don't hear any of them mentioned at all. In 1735, Hongli ascends the throne to become Emperor Qianlong. Fu Chashi becomes Empress at the age of 24. The ceremony didn't happen until the second year in Qianlong's reign, as was customary to wait until the mourning period was over for the previous emperor. We will call Fu Chashi the Empress now. The ceremony was an extravagant affair, and her husband threw literally every positive superlative he had towards her in the official edicts and records. I spent a couple of minutes reading them and my head is swirling at just the sheer volume of praises. It's quite funny. If you guys want me to translate a couple of them, I'm happy to do so, uh, but there are quite a lot. <laughs> in the early years of Tianlong's reign, the empress sewed a silk pouch with lilies. We can still see it today as it is kept in the Palace Museum in Beijing. This was a prized possession of the emperors who kept it until the end of his life. In early in the drama, we did have a couple of scenes where the empress, thanks to Ying Luo, uh, focused on providing furs instead of using the normal you know, gold silks. This also did happen in history. In episode 19 of the drama, the emperor contracts a skin disease and the empress decides to take care of him at risk to her own health. This is also historically accurate. She moved to a small room outside of his sleeping quarters and took care of him for around 100 days. This again shows how deep of a relationship they had, especially if the emperor was willing to see his wife for those 100 days. Unfortunately, this is when tragedy strikes again. In 1738, the second prince, Yonglian, dies. And with this death, the empress gradually becomes more and more reclusive. At this point, two of her three children have died. She only has one daughter with her. In 1746, the empress gives birth to the seventh prince, Yongcong, which is what we saw in the last episode. The boy dies of smallpox on Lunar New Year's Eve in 1746, which was a major blow to the empress, as we also saw in the show. After her son's death, the empress had a dream in which her son was taken away by a Taoist goddess from Mount Tai or Tai Shan. The goddess is Bi Xia Yuanjun. That isn't super important, but it is pretty interesting what the emperor does next. In 1748, which is kind of like only a couple months uh, removed from the death of Yong Tong, the emperor had already scheduled a trip to go to the east of the empire. This trip was scheduled early on, so in you know before the the prince died. So they still had to go on this trip. Upon hearing that his wife had the stream, the emperor actually decided to change his itinerary to go to Mount Tai or Tai Shan specifically to pray to this goddess. What's interesting about this gesture is that the emperor was a man who did not really believe in Taoism. And this was just a gesture to show how much he loved his wife and wanted to make sure that she uh, was able to pray to the goddess to you know, find some peace. And what I mean about how much the emperor did not believe in Taoism or kind of didn't really believe in this type of spirituality, he actually threw away or like chucked out the Taoist um, monks or the Taoist priests that were working for his father's court. So he was like, nope, don't want you, be gone. 
Unfortunately, this trip to the East was one that ended in tragedy. The trip began in the second month of the new year with a packed itinerary. So the prince died uh, basically on Lunar New Year's Eve and two months later, everyone was traveling. The emperor and empress did go to Taishan to pray to the goddess. And this, you know, did provide some solace. But once the whole retinue arrived in Xinan, the empress fell ill. Seeing that his wife was ill, the emperor decided to stay in Xinan for a couple of days. But the empress, not wanting to hold up the retinue, told the emperor to continue on their trip by boat. Unfortunately for the empress, who wasn't really better, fell further ill on the boat. She didn't tell anyone until it was way too late. Only a few days later, the empress died on April 8th, 1748, or on the 11th day of the third month on the 13th year of Qianlong's reign at the age of 37. I'm giving these two dates because historical records in Chinese are just different from kind of our Gregorian calendar here. This was a tragic blow to the emperor. In the drama, we unfortunately get a portrayal of a rather cold emperor who was sad, but honestly quite disappointed at her death. In history, the emperor was utterly distraught. From a timeline perspective, Ru Yi's love in the palace, or Ru Yi Zhuan, manages to portray the empress's decline and location of her decline more accurately as she falls ill and passes away while the royal entourage is out traveling. The funeral was so protocol-defying that the main prince overseeing the funeral literally had to go and reference a Ming Dynasty book of rites on the protocol. Typically, for the death of an empress, only the officials in Beijing needed to participate in the funeral and adhere to mourning protocols. For Empress Fu Cha, Qianlong went way further. He not only stopped court for nine days, he also ordered all officials from the empire to adhere to the mourning protocols during the mourning period. No marriages or parties for 27 days and no cutting of hair for 100 days. This just didn't happen for Qing Dynasty empresses. So, like we said, the funeral officiant had to reference a Ming Dynasty book. This just didn't happen because basically the Qing Dynasty wanted to keep Ming Dynasty customs at arm's length, which makes sense. Though I will say a lot of what this, what I just described, goes counter to what was portrayed in the drama. Emperor Qianlong uh, stopping court for nine days is certainly not what Qianlong in Yanxi Gongyue would have done. In history, Emperor Qianlong also lashed out at many officials who didn't obey the mourning rites. Basically, if funeral tables were dirty or if anything was written wrong or if, for example, you cut your hair. Some officials in history were even killed over these offenses. In the drama, they basically just glossed over the funeral, and when they talk about it later in the drama, the emperor was like, I had to show strength, or else the officials in the empire would take me for granted. However, in history, I don't really think that's the case. Just take a look at the punishments to the officials. It's almost as though the emperor, Tianlong, wanted everyone to show the same respect that he felt for his wife, and if you saw anybody doing 
anything less than that, he just lashed out and basically just doled out punishments. Rui is Love in the Palace, or Rui Chuan, also had some great scenes depicting the lavish nature of the funeral and the emperor's anger at the empress's death on other people. I would say the funeral was an excellent kind of window into Qianlong's thoughts at that point in time to show like what he felt for the grief for his wife. Because in subsequent days, months, and years, whenever there was an official remembrance ceremony for the empress, he would personally attend that ceremony. And he would prioritize that over other ancestral rites or temples or any place that he had to go to. Unfortunately, in this drama, we don't get much of that aftermath of the empress's death because, unfortunately, she's not the main character. Here, I just wanted to give a little bit more color to this woman and to show just how much of an effect she had to or on Emperor Qianlong. When the Empress died, her posthumous title was granted as Xiao Xian Chun Huanghou. Xiao means filial and Xian means virtuous. The Empress actually requested this title for herself when she was alive and this was granted by the Emperor. Now onto some other snippets after the Empress's death and her impact on the Emperor. We've mentioned this before that Qianlong wrote over 40,000 poems. Again, 40,000. <laughs> Not all of them are very great quality. There's a general consensus though that the poems reminiscing his wife are among his best. If you all are interested, we can talk about a few of them, including Shu Bei Fu. Some other facts to share. The couple was gifted Changchun Xiangguan in Yuan Ming Yuan or the Old Summer Palace in 1729. We hear of this palace later in the drama. Almost 70 years later, Emperor Qianlong still wrote to reminisce about the happiness of this marriage and the palace they lived in. After Empress Fu Cha died, Qianlong never celebrated another concubine or empress's birthday. He held grand celebrations for his mother, the Empress Dowager, but nothing for any other woman in the imperial harem. And since the Empress died in Jinan, in all of his subsequent trips to the eastern part of China, Tianlong refused to step foot in the city, as that was a city where she died. When Tianlong abdicated at the ripe old age of 86, he took his son, the new Emperor Jiaqing, to pay the respects to the tomb of the Empress, who had died at that time almost 50 years ago. This is all in stark contrast to Emperor Tianlong's attitude towards his next empress. And we will definitely be talking about that when the time comes. There's quite a lot of debate online right now as to just how much the emperor truly loved the empress. And it's quite true that the emperor had a lot of women in his harem and a lot of children. But I do think that we really can't use our modern sentiments to judge the emperor and that he probably had way more affection for uh, Empress Fu Cha than for any other woman in the palace. Okay, that was a long discussion about the history of Empress Fu Cha. Let's say goodbye also to our beautiful actress Qin Lan from this drama. Qin Lan got her big break in playing Chen Zhihua in the third part of Pearl Princess, 
That came out in the early 2000s. Karen and I constantly joked earlier in this drama about the fifth prince, Yongqi, because everyone was like, you can't let Yongqi die. He's your future husband because um, the character of Chen Zhihua does marry Yongqi in that specific drama. As we discussed in the intro to the drama episode as well, Xin Lan has been in dramas and films here and there, but nothing too popular until her role as the empress in the story of Yanxi Palace. I think it's also because she never really got a role that was just as, you know, elegant and as kind of just nice. Some of her other roles where she really did push herself to the limit were just like great acting wise, but just were not fan favorites. Since her popularity exploded in Yanxi Gongyue, she has had a steady output of dramas over the last couple of years. There is a drama that came out this year called Legacy or Chuanjia that does feature Qin Lan and Nie Yuan, the actor for Qianlong, as a featured couple. There, their fate as a couple is much happier than what we see in this drama. The comments for that drama were all like, yay, my emperor and empress couple are finally together in that drama. And also, I did watch uh, Chuanjia or Legacy. She has way more authority and sway over the emperor or Nie Yuan's character in Chuanjia than she ever did in, uh, in Yanxi Gongyue. So all of the fans were like, everything that the emperor uh, did not give her, he's able to give her in this drama. They were a very cute couple. So if you just want to see these two act as a couple again, you can go check it out. Kathy, of course, also posted a review of Dr. Tang on our website, which features Qin Lan, and Kathy really likes that drama. So closing thoughts for this drama are that I think Qin Lan did a really good role portraying Fu Cha Rongyin. In behind-the-scenes videos, both Qin Lan and Nie Yuan, the actor for Qianlong, spent time discussing the relationship between the emperor and empress and altered some of the script so that the relationship portrayed on screen seemed more natural and close. They really wanted to show a loving relationship. In the drama, I think they really succeeded with portraying such a wonderful and poised and kind, caring uh, empress. I think there has been so many wonderful portrayals of the emperor in recent drama, so his portrayal was great, but not as unique for me as Qinlan's portrayal of the Empress. If you guys go and check out some other behind the scenes videos, Qinlan in real life is just so much more bubbly than Fu Cha Rongyin. So if you wanna take a look, definitely go check those out. What I will say is that one of the biggest draws of this drama was also the fact that this wasn't your typical palace drama in the sense that the main character, Ying Luo, doesn't try to gain favor with the emperor at any point when the empress was alive. She was just trying to serve the empress whom Ying Luo viewed as an older sister. Ling Ho CP, which we've talked about, which is kind of, you know, a fanship between Ling Fei or Ying Luo and Huang Ho still has a huge following. People are still posting a lot of fan videos of the empress, the empress and the emperor, and the empress and Ying Luo. So with that, what do you think about Qinlan's portrayal of Fu Cha Rongyin or our empress for this drama? Feel free to let us know because we unfortunately will have to say goodbye to this 
beautiful and awesome character. That is it for this podcast episode. Please do remember to vote on our website for the next drama you want us to discuss and also your favorite drama of 2022. Also, if you enjoy this content, please remember to give us a rating or a review on whatever platform you listen to us to. A friendly reminder that if you're looking for sites to watch Chinese dramas and you're in the U.S., please head on over to our sponsor, Jubao TV. That's J-U-B-A-O TV. It is a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch with English subtitles. You can stream it through their website, Jumo, X-U-M-O, or else access it on TV if you have Xfinity, Cox Contour, or Sling TV. Again, all of this is for free. Thanks again so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next podcast episode.